Well, it's great to hear those stories from Nick. In fact, uh, I knew, we had talked earlier, and I knew about those stories. They were even an encouragement to me yesterday. I was in downtown Harrisburg. I'd been running, and I was walking back to my car. And as I'm walking back to the car, I see a guy coming towards me, and he is wearing a North Dakota State University sweatshirt. And I was thinking, you know, about even about this message and, hey, we're, we're wanting to be people who build bridges. And I said, hey, here's, in my mind, I thought, here's an opportunity to connect with someone who's also lived in North Dakota. I lived in North Dakota nine years. There are not that many of us around here. And so as, as uh, we started to pass on the path, I just stopped him briefly and I said, hey, um, are you from North Dakota? Have you lived in North Dakota? <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, I've never been there. I'm just a Carson Wentz fan. I wasn't expecting that. So that wasn't, that wasn't quite the way I anticipated that conversation going. But, you know, as a church in this season, we're seeking to, in many ways, live counterculturally. We're, we're at this cultural moment where we're experiencing physical barriers because just of the isolation associated with COVID-19 and how we're having to, to respond. We're experiencing cultural barriers because it, it just feels like, for different reasons, our culture is more segmented, more polarized, more divided. And yet, even as we experience all of these barriers, as a church, particularly this academic year, we're seeking to be people who build bridges, not barriers. We're seeking to be people who engage the opportunities God gives us for bridge-building moments. That is, opportunities to take faith-stretching next steps in relationships. In fact, in a couple of moments, I'm just going to invite you, if you haven't committed already, to say, yes, I want to be a part of what we are doing this year as a church. Now, we've been talking about this in this series where we're talking about building bridges. And what we've seen already is this. If we're going to build bridges relationally, we need to start at the right place. We need to be people who are grounded in God's grace, people who are living in God's grace. And as we're, we're empowered by his grace, he really empowers us to live outwardly, right, in our, in our relationships. He empowers us to be for other people. He empowers us to live, live as sent people to our communities, our schools, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. But as, as we think about building bridges, as we continue to talk about uh, what this looks like, I think it's important to ask this question. So what exactly does bridge building involve? What are the, what are the skills, the rhythms, the practices that are necessary if we're going to do this well? So that's what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. In fact, we're going to be looking at the, the life, the teachings of Jesus, just to notice several practices that are important in, in building bridges. And so this morning, we're going to start with a simple practice. It is, it's the practice of seeing people, the skill of seeing people. Now, at this point, you may say, wait a minute, George, what do you mean the skill of seeing people? What skill does it take to see people? I walked into this building this morning, and I saw people. I didn't recognize them all. You know, it's harder to recognize people behind masks, but I, you know, and you might say, and you know, um, Maybe my schedule is simpler and I have less interaction with others now during COVID, but I still see people. All of us see people. And, and on one hand, you're right. I mean, at one level, it, does, it doesn't require any skill just to see people. But can I suggest to you that there is, there's a difference between seeing people and really seeing people? To show you what I mean, uh, 
Let me tell you about an experiment the Washington Post did a number of years ago. Maybe you heard about this. They, they got a, a world-class violinist by the name of Joshua Bell to agree to a particular experiment. They asked him to take his Stradivarius violin and go into one of the stations on the Washington train system in Washington, D.C. And they asked him to play for between 45 minutes and an hour. And the question was, would people really slow down to listen? Would they notice that this is, this is really different? And so upon a particular day, you know, he, he dressed up just really simply, blue jeans, a ball cap. He goes into one of these uh, tube stations on the train line in Washington, D.C., and he pulls out his $3.5 million violin, and he begins to play. And here's what happened. As it turned out, in the roughly 45 minutes that he played, less than a dozen people really slowed down to listen, and over a 1,000 people just kept moving. And see, the reality was this. For the vast majority of those people, they saw him, but they really didn't see him. They saw him at one level, but they, they really didn't comprehend all that was going on. My guess is, on a personal level, you, that's happened to you as well, hasn't it? Haven't you been in a conversation before, or maybe conversations with certain people before, where you're in this conversation, and yeah, they're right in front of you, and it's like uh, they see me, but, but you walk away going, they really didn't hear what I said. They saw me, but they didn't really see me. A conversation where you walk away, and in a, in a, in a deep personal level, you feel unheard. You feel unseen. Hasn't, hasn't, hasn't that happened to you before? So, so what's the difference? I mean, what does this look like? What does it look like to, to really see someone? As I was wrestling with that question, I, I thought about one of the parables that Jesus told. It's one of his most famous stories. We call it the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember, a, a religious, religious leader comes up to Jesus, and he wants to trap Jesus, and in the course of the conversation, he asks this question, so who is my neighbor? The question leads to this simple story. It's a story of a man on a journey who is mugged along the road and he's left for dead. And then, right, then a, <laughs> then a priest comes by and sees him, moves to the other side. A Levite comes by, sees him, and moves to the other side. And then this is where the story takes a surprising turn because the next person to come by is a Samaritan. And here's, how the, way, here's, here's the way Jesus describes it. Now notice the wording. Jesus says, he sees him, but he saw him and he saw him with compassion. When he saw him, he had compassion. And it's interesting the way Jesus tells the story because the vocabulary is consistent throughout, throughout the passage. That is, the priest comes by, sees him, walks to the other side. The Levite comes by, sees him, and walks to the other side. The Samaritan comes by and sees him, but he sees him with compassion. That's what it looks like to really see someone else. He sees him with compassion. He sees him with a desire to be for him. He sees him with a willingness to take action. That's what it 
looks like, I think, from the lips of Jesus to really see someone else. Likewise, hopefully at some point, even if you've had some negative experiences with not being heard, maybe you've also had situations where you were in a conversation and you, you walked away saying, that person really heard what I was saying. Or maybe you walked away even thinking, you know, they, they put into words what I was feeling. And you walked away and you said, I have been seen. I have been heard. Do, do you know that experience, right? To truly be seen by someone else. So Jesus says if we're really going to see people, we have to see with compassion. To make this more concrete, uh, maybe here's how I would describe this, this idea of really seeing people, the skill of really seeing, the skill of seeing with compassion. I would, I would describe it with this, these two ideas. To, to really see others, I need to slow down and listen. To really see others, uh, I need to slow down and listen. Really, that's just the big, that's the big idea I want to share with you this morning in terms of this skill of actually seeing people. Slow down and listen. That's going to be my challenge, my encouragement to you this morning. As I said, over these weeks when we talk about these skills, we're going to be looking at the, the teaching and the life of Jesus. And when you look carefully at Jesus' life, it turns out he was a master at really seeing people. He was a master at, at slowing down and engaging people, really at slowing down and listening and interacting. To show you what I mean, let me, let me just remind you of three stories in, in the life of Christ. In, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is, is approached by a synagogue leader whose daughter is dying, and the synagogue leader wants Jesus to intervene and heal her. Most likely, this took place in, in a small uh, fishing community on the northwestern shores of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, and it was a place where Jesus was well known. Consequently, whenever Jesus was in Capernaum and he was moving around, he drew a crowd of curiosity seekers. So as Jesus heads off with the synagogue leader, uh, undoubtedly there are crowds around him. And apparently one of the individuals in this crowd is a woman who has dealt with a chronic health condition for a number of years. And as, as she sees Jesus in the midst of this crowd, she has this idea, if I can just get to him and, and touch him, I'll be healed. And we can just envision as we read the passage her kind of coming in from the back of the crowd and she nudges her way through the crowd and finally works her way where she gets close enough to reach out to him and that's when she touches him and she's healed. And then she begins backing out to be as an anonymous going in as she was or going out as she was going in, but, but Jesus won't let that happen. Jesus stops her. He calls her out and she, and she freezes in fear. We can just feel the tension. But then Jesus says this. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see, it turns out Jesus didn't stop her in order to call her out in a, as a tool of embarrassment or to reprimand her. Jesus, Jesus addressed her to heal her, to restore her, to in essence give her her dignity back. Jesus stopped her because Jesus really saw her. Think about another familiar scene in the story of Jesus, this time from John's gospel, John chapter 4. Jesus is tra traveling in Samaria, and he stops by a well. 
And as he's sitting at a well, this Samaritan woman comes up and she presumes that she'll just get her stuff and be on her way, but Jesus doesn't let that happen. He addresses her. He talks to her and he asks her for a drink. And and this was shocking for her. Here's what we read in John chapter 4. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And just to make sure we understand the cultural dimension of what's going on, the author adds this editorial comment, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Because of that cultural reality, she assumed that she would simply go in and go out, and there would be no interaction, but Jesus didn't let that happen. He asked her for her drink, and that, that initial conversation then leads to a broader conversation about her own life story. And in the course of the conversation, Jesus identifies himself as the Messiah to show her how her story can be transformed when she becomes a part of his story as the Messiah. Jesus saw her. He slowed down and engaged. He slowed down and listened. One more story, uh, this time again from Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 19, Jesus is making his way through Jericho to Jerusalem. And once again, uh, obviously information word has spread that this, this intriguing teacher healer was coming through and a crowd is generated. And so as Jesus is coming through Jericho, there's a crowd of people and included in that is a man by the name of Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector. Of course, we always remember the idea that he was short. We remember the song about the wee little man. And so Zacchaeus, right, climbs into a tree, hoping simply to get a glimpse of this famous teacher. But it turns out to be more than a glimpse that he gets because here's what we read in Luke 19. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now notice, these are, these are three different scenes from the life of Jesus. Three different scenes involving very different people, different geographical locations, different life stories, and yet in each of them, Jesus sees them. He sees with compassion. He slows down. He's listening. He's engaging. He's interacting. And, and while they are very different stories... <laughs> Here's one thing that each of these stories has in common. The truth is, in each of these stories, Jesus' response was countercultural. Because you see, in each scene, the cultural expectation was this. In each scene, the expectation was these are people you could just overlook. So, for instance, right in the first scene, this woman has this chronic uh, health condition that meant she was ceremonially unclean. She was to be someone you avoided. This is part of the reason I think she is so shocked and terrified when Jesus addresses her. She's just not accustomed to having people talk to her in public. And the second scene, once again, a woman. But she's a Samaritan woman. And as John indicates, culturally, Jews often went out of their way to, to avoid social interaction and conversation with Samaritans. Once again, Jesus is doing that which is culturally unexpected. And finally, in the third scene, this time we are dealing with a man. We're dealing with someone who had a certain level of social status, someone who was apparently very affluent and successful at his job. Yet, remember, he's a tax collector. And for Jew, from a Jewish perspective, what that meant was he, he was viewed as someone who was collaborating with the enemy. 
He was someone who was benefiting from the oppressive and corrupt Roman taxation system. So he too was someone that that was to be avoided. Someone that you, you didn't want to be seen with. So in each of these scenes, when Jesus sees these people, when he really sees them, he's breaking all sorts of cultural norms and cultural expectations. Now, our circumstances are very different than the, from the ancient Near East, and our cultural factors are different as well. But I think, uh, like Jesus, there can be certain cultural factors, certain realities at work in our setting that can get in the way of us really seeing other people. Let me just, let me just mention a couple of obstacles just very briefly. I think one obstacle is the obstacle of busyness. One of the things that can get in the way of, of seeing others is, is just the, the speed at which, we, at which we approach life. We allow our lives to be filled with lots of things. The faster we move, the more efficient we seek to be. The easier it is to see people without really seeing people. And the truth is this, you, you can't love in a hurry. You can't be for people in a hurry. Uh, for me, one of the signs that busyness is taking over is this. I notice that I will become more transactional in, in relationships, more transactional in conversations, right? If I'm, when, when, when hurry is taking over, I, I, just give me the information I need out of this conversation so I can get in and get out and move on. Now, that can help me become more efficient, but when it happens, it means I may be seeing people, but not really seeing them. A second obstacle that I think can get in the way of, of really seeing people is just the obstacle of self-focus. Now, our reality is this. I mean, we gather in this room, and we're in different life stages. We're dealing with different stuff. Some of you right now are dealing with complications in your life that are very weighty, perhaps related to what we're going through, or either life stage, or job, or health, or finances. And, but the reality is, even if we don't have something that is uniquely heavy right now, I think for each of us, our lives are busy enough and full enough that if we want to, we can allow our stuff, just our stuff, to become all-consuming. And I think that's particularly true during COVID because right now we're going through something that is demanding more of each of us. Whatever your life has looked like, in some ways, it's probably gotten more complicated over the last seven months. Certain normal things that we do have become more complicated. Furthermore, we've, we've had to deal, I think, each of us in different ways with, with a certain sense of loss over the last seven months and, and the grief that comes with that. And particularly given this situation, I think it, it becomes natural, it becomes easy for my emotional energy, for my personal focus to, to turn completely inward. And, and when that happens, it, it just makes it easier for me not to really see other people. A third obstacle that can get on our way is I really choose to live in a Christian bubble. Right? Obviously, I, I interact with other people in my neighborhood, workplace, school, or whatever. But, but the truth is, I'm not, really, 
paying that much attention. I'm not really engaging. I don't really have a great deal of curiosity about the people that aren't part of my Christian bubble. And that can be related, I think, very closely to another obstacle that we sometimes face, and that's just an attitude. That's an attitude where I I quickly write people off who are different than me. I mean, if they're not part of my Christian circles or if they think about life differently, political issues, cultural issues, social issues, I, I, just, I just write them off. No need to invest there. No need to be curious there. Just, just keep moving. I mean, and, and as we've already seen, that was really a cultural expectation at, at work in Jesus' day. Certain people you just didn't have to pay attention to. Certain people you could just easily overlook, and that can be the same for us as well. Now, frankly, there, there are all sorts of reasons why these factors can be present. Yet remember, I think Jesus, Jesus is calling us as followers to something different. Empowered by his grace, he is inviting us into a way of life that, that really goes beyond cultural norms. He's, he's inviting us to be bridge builders. He's inviting us to really see people, to see people with compassion, to be people who at times are willing just to slow down and listen. So let's, let's just unpack those, those two ideas just a little bit further. I mean, just think about the idea of slowing down in a conversation. Slowing down to be fully present. Slowing down to be willing to listen. Slowing down so that this person has my full attention. Slowing down so this person is truly seen and truly heard. You know, as I think about slowing down, once again, I go back to the experience of Jesus. And I, I, for me, one of the captivating stories about slowing down is really Jesus' uh, encounter with Zacchaeus again in Luke chapter 19. Now, I realize we know, we, know, you know, we know the dimensions of the story. We've got images in our head of the wee little man in the tree. But for a moment, think about the broader context in Luke's gospel. As you read Luke's gospel, Luke pays very careful attention and I think places a particular focus on Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem, which will lead to his arrest, execution, and resurrection. And this story in Luke 19 is right in the middle of that journey. Now, as we read the Gospels together, it becomes very clear that on this final march to Jerusalem, Jesus is becoming more open to his disciples about what will happen when they arrive in the capital city. Jesus is becoming more open with his disciples about the truth that he is going to the cross. And I think this means as well that as Jesus is on this final journey to Jerusalem, there's a growing weightiness about what he's about to experience. And it is in Jericho that he makes the final turn towards Jerusalem. It is in Jericho after coming down the Jordan River Valley that he now turns west to make the final leg of that journey, the final ascent, those final 15 miles to the capital city. And given the broader context, in my mind, it would be quite natural. It would be quite expected for Jesus now as he comes to Jericho, just 
for him to march right through the city, his eyes firmly fixed on what he's about to experience. But he doesn't do that. He, I mean, right in the middle of this increasingly weighty journey, he slows down to pay attention to this tax collector hanging out in a tree. Now, why is that? Well, I think in some ways um, we find part of the answer as we read the end of the story. Because we get to the end of the story and here's what we see. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. We get to the end of the story, and Jesus reminds us of his mission. In our world of brokenness and sin, a brokenness we see in ourselves, a brokenness we see in others, Jesus, Jesus has to come to restore that which is broken. He has come to restore, to renew, to forgive. And in reality, what takes place in Jericho is in, in a small way an anticipation of what Jesus will ultimately achieve when he goes to Jerusalem. And consequently, in light of this broader mission of transformation and renewal and restoration, when Jesus saw Zacchaeus hanging out in a tree, he didn't simply see who Zacchaeus was, he also saw who Zacchaeus could be. And I think as we remind ourselves, as we renew our vision and our imagination with the truth of this bigger story of what God is doing, it will encourage us and empower us at times just to slow down. To be reminded of the truth that, yes, we live in a very broken world and, you know, 2020, right? It's just, haven't you already said how, how much crazier can this year get? And yet in the midst of that craziness and uncertainty and complication to understand that, you know what, the people around me have been created in God's image. And even now in the midst of this craziness, this plan of restoration and renewal is underway. And I don't know completely what that looks like around me. I don't know exactly where God is working or how he's working. But you know what, I want to be a part of it. I want to be engaged in what he is doing. And as that truth just grips who I am, as that broader vision kind of informs how I engage life, it will encourage me, at least at times, to slow down in the context of relationships. So I need to slow down, but I also, I need to listen. And to make this really practical, I just wanted to give you a couple of questions for you to think about in terms of how how well are you at listening in the course of conversations? I mean, what does it look like for you to slow down and listen? So here, here's just a couple of things to think about. First of all, when, when, you're, when you're in a conversation with someone, what, what kind of feedback am I giving, right? When I'm in a conversation, what kind of feedback am I giving? 
Am I paying attention? Is there good eye contact? Do they know I'm, I'm, I'm following along or am I distracted? Am I focused on other things? A few years ago, a friend of mine gave me some helpful input. He said, you know, George, you are a, you're an internal processor, which is very true. And he said this, but sometimes when I'm talking to you, you're processing so much internally, I'm not really sure you're with me. <laughs> so if you could give me a little more feedback, that would, that would be helpful. And that was just, that was so, so much of a gift for my friend to hear. So what kind of feedback am I giving? Here's another one, another thing to think about. Am I answering <laughs> before listening? Now, once again, as I said, you know, for me, I think, when, when I become more hurried, my relationships become more transactional. And, and, and part of that is this. If I'm not careful, I'm, I'm, I'm really answering before listening. That is, for the sake of time, I feel like I've already got this figured out. I already kind of know where this conversation is going to go. I'll pull it along. And I'm, I'm really answering before listening to what someone else is saying. And once again, that may become more efficient at times, but People won't walk away feeling heard. Along those lines, I'm challenged by this wisdom from Proverbs 18. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Proverbs 18, 13. Let me just kind of speak directly to parents because, you know, as, 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 our, as our sons are becoming young men, one of the gifts of this season is at times we talk about things in the past and we're really able to have some really good conversations about different scenes from earlier stages in our family history. And one of the things I've realized is at times as a dad, I probably blew it because of this issue. At times, I was answering before listening. And so one of the things I would encourage those of us who are parents to do is just to wrestle with this. And, and I would just encourage you even to have a conversation with your child, your kids, if this is kind of appropriate, just to say this. When we talk, do you feel heard? When we talk, do you feel heard? Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to agree with you. It doesn't mean I'm going to give you what you want. But I'm just curious. You know, when we talk, do you feel heard? Why or why not? And I, I just encourage you to have that conversation because it can be enlightening. Because as parents, sometimes we get in trouble because we're really answering before listening. Finally, just another thing to think about. Do I ask good questions? Do I ask good questions? Do I dominate the conversation? <laughs> Do I use what you're saying simply to la launch into something that I want to say? Or am I really listening? Am I asking good questions? For instance, am I asking clarifying questions? It sounds like you're saying this. Is that right? Or if, if I'm hearing you correctly, here's what, here's what you're trying to say. Am I asking clarifying questions? Am I asking questions that lead to further insight? One of my favorite is just, Tell me more. Tell me more. Unpack that a little bit for me. Or, or asking just, well, so how did that make you feel? And trying to get a little deeper in, in the course of the conversation, if that's possible. And the reality is this. If, if you're willing to slow down and listen, if you're willing to slow down and listen, slow down and, and be fully present, slow down and ask good questions, at times, not always, but at times, you'll discover a conversation just moves to a deeper level. Once again, notice this wisdom from the book of Proverbs. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Isn't that great? And the truth is, if we're willing to slow down and listen, there will be moments when in the course of this conversation we're able to draw people out because we're really 
really seeing them. So to be a bridge builder, we need to develop the skill of truly seeing people, of seeing with compassion, the skill of slowing down and listening. Now, I realize at this point, you may say, okay, George, are you asking me to stop every person on the street now I see today and try to get them into a deep conversation, right? Every time you see a football jersey, see if you've got a connection. (laughs) No, I'm not asking you to do that. But what I am asking you to do is this. I'm asking you to be open to the opportunities that God gives us to build into the lives of others. To seek to be attuned to his spirit and recognize, not every day, not in every conversation, but there are going to be moments where it really becomes clear that, you know what, I need, I need to be fully present here. I need to slow down and listen. With that in mind, let me, let me just kind of highlight two very practical next steps even as we continue through this series. And, and the first is really a step that needs to undergird all that we're doing, and that's just, that's just the step of prayer, to pray. Pray that God would just make you more tuned to the opportunities that he gives us, more tuned to those bridge-building moments, those faith-stretching next steps that come our way. Along those lines, if you haven't done this, I'm, I'm going to challenge you. If, to go to hfcinfo.com. That's where we always send you online here. But go to hfcinfo.com. You'll find a Bridge Building Moments tab. And when you click on that, there's a commitment card. And I'm going to, if you're willing to say, I want to be a part of what we're doing as a church, I'm going to ask you to go there, even today, and fill out that card just as a tangible sign of commitment. And one of the things that will happen when you fill that out, we're going to send you a welcome packet. And included in that is just some really helpful prayer prompts to, to kind of, that you can build into your everyday experience. Because as we, are, as we are praying about this, I think we become more attuned to the opportunities that God is giving us to build into the lives of others. So that's the first step, just to pray. The second is a resource that we started to use around here called blesseveryhome.com. If you haven't checked this out, I want to encourage you to do that. Basically what you do, you go to this website and you kind of fill in your address and information. And if you're willing to be a part of praying for your neighborhood, it, it will... Uh, give you some resources to help you do that well. For instance, it, one of the things I really like is it's given me a map of my neighborhood. So some of those neighbors, I don't always remember their names. I can see them on that map, and you can actually set it up to send you reminders at, at different intervals, if you would like, to, to just pray for the people in your neighborhood. And once again, as we are engaged in prayer about building bridges, praying for the people around us, I think That will, among other things, help us become more attuned when we have opportunities to build into those relationships. So as we've seen in the life of Jesus, he was someone who didn't simply see people. He really saw people. Because he saw them through the eyes of compassion. Even the people that for a variety of reasons were normally overlooked. Now as his followers, he's inviting us to do the same. Even though at times it's very countercultural. He's inviting you and me to, to really see people. He's inviting you and me to, to see with compassion. And among other things, that means at certain moments, you and I are just going to need to slow down. We're going to need to slow down and listen. Let's pray together.
gracious God, is, is even as we've gone through these different stories in the life of, of Jesus, I'm, I'm just confronted at the ways in which he saw people. Even to think about the weight he was carrying as he's headed to Jerusalem and yet in the midst of that to slow down for a tax collector hanging in a tree. And Father, I, I pray that this reality of seeing people won't strike us as a burden, but I pray it will, will just empower us as people who are now called to be a part of what you're doing. That in light of the reality that your plan is actually at work, you're inviting us to be a part of that. And, and that journey of following you, that, that means an openness to really seeing people. An openness to simply slow down and listen. And Father, perhaps for some of us, even now, there, there are people in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood, in our community, people that somehow are a part of our lives that even now, I, I pray your, your spirit just might bring them to our mind to say, hey, here's, here's a relationship where I'm giving you the opportunity to do this now. And Father, as your spirit confronts, reminds, and challenges, I, I just pray we will be open to his leadership and guidance. Because through your grace, you are now empowering us and calling us to see people, to really see them, even as Jesus did. May we be faithful in that response. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I want to thank you for uh, being a part of this service. For some of you, this is maybe your first time back, so welcome back, and it's, it's just great to be together and to see you. And also, just know that even as we've been talking about bridge building, here's how I'm praying for you. Here's how I'm praying for our church as your pastor. I'm praying that even now, God, God is going to be giving us, even as we talk about these opportunities, it's my prayer for you that over the next few days, or maybe, you know, sometime during this month, there's going to be a clear moment where it just strikes you. This is an opportunity for me to slow down and listen. This is an opportunity for me to, to build a bridge. And I'm not exactly sure what God is doing, but I want to be faithful in living out this identity as a follower of Christ. It's my prayer that at that moment, you will engage it, that you will engage it as a bridge builder. Amen.